let's go look at that rock, John. He said, and he was arguing, no, that's too far away. I said, ah, it's just right over there. And so, uh, um, uh, I talked him into it. And so we started out. So big objects far away look similar to smaller objects close in. So as we started walking and jogging around the rim of the crater, uh, this rock kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Welcome to a very special combined episode of Apologetics Profile and Good Heavens. I'm Watchman Staff Apologist Daniel Ray. So glad you could join us today. This week, you are in for a wonderful surprise. In celebration of the 4th of July and in celebration of 2022 being the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 16 moon landing, we are featuring five episodes with a very special guest, retired Air Force Brigadier General and Apollo 16 moonwalking astronaut, Charlie Duke. Charlie is the youngest of all the 12 moonwalking astronauts and the 10th man to set foot on the lunar surface. In April of 1972, with his fellow astronaut and good friend, the late John Young, who passed away in 2018, Duke landed high atop the Descartes Highlands in the lunar lander Orion. This was the highest elevation moon landing of all the Apollo missions. Charlie shares with us everything from what it was like being Capcom of Houston for Apollo 11, what riding a Saturn V rocket felt like, the stark, surreal beauty of the lunar surface, and how the Lord Jesus Christ transformed him and his entire family. This is part four of our conversation with Apollo astronaut Charlie Duke. On this episode, Charlie shares with us how he believes he and John set a lunar land speed record in the lunar buggy. Charlie talks about what the spacesuits were like. He shares the story of he and John's discovery of an enormous boulder and what the view from the lunar mountains was like. is the truth and we need to uh, 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 let it influence our life in every area of our life uh, every airplane I've ever flown every car I've ever driven every appliance I've ever operated has a manual mm-hmm. and it's this is how you operate this machine and you better do it this way or you're going to have some problems right well right. this is the book that's God's manufacturer's handbook. I guess I could call yeah, it. Right. And as we put our life more and more in line with this book and follow it, uh, then we see the power of God. We see the glory of God. We see the right. love of God and uh, his protection and his uh, watch over us. Not saying that we're going to have uh, a trouble-free life, but no. he is with us. Yeah. Yeah. When we go through these troubles. You talk about, and, and this reminds me of God's holiness, when you're explaining how childlike you and John were on the moon surface, 
I think it was it's my favorite part of the book where you and John are just running around like kids at Christmas on the moon's surface to complete abandon to the extent that you were making people back at Houston very nervous because (laughs) you kept falling down (laughs) and uh, you and John and the buggy set a uh, lunar land speed record. I understand 11 miles per hour downhill from uh, Stone Mountain. Is that true? Did that record hold? It was at least uh, 11. (laughs) The, The speedometer only went to. 17 kilometers per hour which is 11 miles an hour so it was stuck uh full scale high <laughs> and and it stayed there and I, so we were greater than 11 we know that but uh, okay all right it was it was bouncing a lot it was yeah. fun yeah yeah <laughs> We just set a new world speed record, Houston. 17 kilometers an hour on the moon. Alice, not set anymore. We asked Astronaut Duke to comment on his suits. Yeah, it's a good fit. Uh, both uh, both my suits have been uh, excellent fits. Uh, we haven't had any trouble at all. Uh, this is my second time up. Actually, the third time up. I have a training suit and, and two flight suits, uh, one spare and uh, one prime suit. Both flight suits just fit exceptionally well. Real pleased. You talked about thanking the ladies who were put your suits together, all the zippers and the stitching and everything, and how important that was. And this analogy came to mind, sir, as I'm, I'm reading this, that, uh, you know, the scripture that, that talks about uh, the, the parable of the wedding feast where someone gets into the wedding feast without wedding clothes, right? That you have to be clothed in the proper attire to be in, in this feast. And the question is asked to the gentleman, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And in order to be in God's presence, we have to be clothed with his righteousness, and the moon, as you're describing your, your suit, I'm thinking this is a, a, a similar analogy. You cannot be in the presence, the, the presence of the lunar glory, if you will, without the proper attire because you are, it, it, it has to be exact. It has to be precise. You have to be clothed because if not, you're going to die instantly. And that, that reminded me in some sense of God's holiness, that the lunar surface reflects that, that beauty, but, but it's very lethal. Uh, and, and, and you have to be clothed um, because I was fascinated by this. I didn't realize how how uh, fragile you could just rip your suit and that's it. Right. It was it was were you. It's, it's hard to rip a suit. A space suit was really tough. OK. OK. Well, that's good. But you could have, uh, you know, a zipper break or uh, a micrometeorite puncture the suit and. Mm. Uh, or you fall on a sharp object. Uh, yeah. Fortunately, we didn't have many sharp objects uh, uh, in our toolkit or our geology stuff. So, but there were possibilities like that. You know, you you fall and your glove pop off or something like that. <laughs> right, right. And you're dead. Yeah. Right. So uh, you trust. Uh, you you. You, you trust your gear, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the thought just occurred to me right then that uh, I'm trusting God with my life. He's clothed me with righteousness. Right. 
believe that. Yeah. Uh, I've got to, I'm going to have the right clothes on when the wedding feast comes. That's right. He's the one that's dressing us. That's right. Uh, and uh, it's it's his righteousness and uh, his, his faithfulness and his love uh, that uh, draws us uh, into him and to uh, mm-hmm. so as we grow in him we we clothe ourselves with the righteousness and the love of the fruit of the Holy Spirit which is internal but reflects in our life One of my favorite stories you tell on the moon about your journey on the moon was, I think it was either you or John first sees this rock in a distance. And you're like, oh, that's not too far. And you start kind of hobbling toward it, and the rock just keeps getting bigger. And you and John start going after it, and the rock just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I think you called it the house rock. You described this for us. Well, uh, we were at uh, a last moonwalk, uh, and we were... uh, at our maximum distance uh, from the lunar module for the, on this uh, 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 third uh, moonwalk. And the uh, uh, it was a big crater. The uh, how, uh, North Ray Crater was about uh, 500 meters or 500 yards in diameter and maybe 100 yards deep. And on, we were on this, let's see, it would be the um, uh, southeast, uh, yeah, the southeast rim. And I looked across, and uh, on the northeast side, there was this rock. Well, it, it let's go look at that rock, John. He said, and he was arguing, no, it's too far away. I said, ah, it's just right over there. And so uh, um, uh, I talked him into it. And so we started out now on the moon. You don't have any uh, objects to give you depth perception. There's no trees, no houses, no people, no cars. And so we can tell you down here, you can look out and say, well, there's a car down there. You know what the size of a car is. So well, it's yeah. a block away or whatever, but up on the moon, you have no clues like that. So big objects far away look similar to small objects close in. So as we started walking and jogging around the rim of the crater, uh, this rock kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We'll stop about halfway down here and do another rake. How's that? Like that I did, Charlie. Ah, the old footprints on the crater rim. That's about uh, halfway, uh, maybe. Like, um, go ahead. Yeah, it looks like the battery still uh, the. Uh, All these in this area look uh, the same. Okay, that's a 735. Yeah, and the sunlight using this white rock has sort of a greenish hue to it. This white rock red to And I guess uh, this is uh, probably the second layer up. I would reckon that's just. If, if we could see to the bottom, we could say for sure if this big black rock is right out of the bottom. Look at the size of that rock. We can see. Once I get to it, the bigger it is. 
So we we ended up calling it House Rock, and it was probably uh, uh, I would say maybe uh, fifteen yards tall and maybe thirty feet long. Wow! And so and we went around to the uh, to the sunlit side, so you could see it uh, in uh, in the sunlight, and uh, you just looking up like this and. And uh, you got this little hammer in your hand, you know, and it's it's overwhelming rock. <laughs> but it's pretty impressive. Nobody yeah. ever come close to one that big. Uh-huh. And uh, and so uh, uh, we hacked off a couple pieces of it and with our hammer and uh, and uh, started back. And uh, it was slightly uphill uh, most of the way back. So. Uh, uh, it was a harder walk, but uh, we made it and uh, got back in our rover and uh, uh, loaded the rocks up that we had up there and did all of our experiments. And then we uh, headed back to the lunar module uh, mm. near the end of our, I think we had two more stops to do. Uh, and then we had to cut short some of them because we were running behind schedule. And plus it was only a five and a half hours. Uh, that we're supposed to be out anyway. Yeah. Instead of seven. Now they cut it short because of your uh, food supply and water supply. Is that correct? Well, it was more power. Uh, oh, power. More, yeah, we were worried about the the batteries. Uh, uh, we had uh, we had only batteries, and you couldn't recharge the batteries. And so, oh, uh, okay. And so, as we we were powered up before the landing. Uh, we were powered up for six hours at a delay because we thought we were going to abort. And so we were full power for six hours Ooh. longer than we expected. And so, uh, that was getting us down to, uh, you know, the minimums, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, uh, they wanted to lift off, uh, uh at a certain time and that meant you had to cut the eva short too yeah yeah um i know we're getting close to time here sir and i really appreciate you taking the time with me this morning it's been such a joy to to be able to speak with you um just a couple of of things that i i probably am going to hang up with you and go my gosh i forgot to ask him this and i forgot to ask him that um but i i do want to have you talk about what do you think is your most memorable time on the lunar surface, what struck you the most in your experience? What was, or just maybe for our audience, because because some of our audience or younger kids, um, you know, this idea of Apollo is it's really interesting. As I've been a middle school and high school teacher, how distant in mind people, the kids know that we've been to the moon, but they the the longer we go past Apollo, the the more people we tend to forget what happened, what it was like. Um, and so I do, we have a, long, uh, a lot of younger listeners. And so I was kind of hoping if you could just maybe walk us through a description of the moon. I know you struggled in your book. You say how words were hard to come by uh, in trying to, to, to describe what you see. But uh, if you could describe, you know, maybe what you enjoyed most or found most fantastic about the moon. I think the, uh, to me, the, 
one of the most impressive moments was on our second EVA where we went south uh, and we climbed uh, Stone Mountain, which was about four miles away, three and a half, four miles away. And when we got almost to the top, we, we found a place that was sort of a level bench, I call it. We turned around and, and parked the rover there and we got out and we started doing our geology. And from there, you could look out across the whole valley, the Cayley Plains, oh, wow. to the, all the way to the north side, which you, was uh, now eight or 10 miles away. And there's uh, North Ray Crater. We could see all of the Smoky Mountains. I could look left, and there was a, a, a crater called uh, a South Ray Crater, which was almost pure white looking. Wow. But it was eight miles away and we couldn't get it. It was too far for us to go. We, so we didn't get down there, but all of this panorama was visual. I'm seeing it. And out there in the middle of the Valley is our little lunar module, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's our home. And uh, really the only, except for the gray of the moon, that was the only in the white of some of the rocks. Uh, that was the only real color. Uh, and so it's very impressive. You could, and you could, since there's no atmosphere, you look beyond the horizon of the moon and it's instantly black. Because uh, the sun's shining, so you don't see the stars and you just Mm -hmm. look up and there's this blackness of space. Yeah. Uh, uh, Unfortunately, from where we were, when, when, where we were on the moon, the earth was directly overhead. So it was hard to lean back and look up at it? You, you, you. You had to grab hold of something and bend your suit to look up, uh, which we did occasionally. But normally, if you stood there and you looked up, you're looking at the top of your helmet because the mm. helmet doesn't move with your head. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we couldn't see the earth up there, but it was there. And uh, But just this panorama of beauty of, uh, of the uh, sharpness uh, and the desolation of the moon was uh, pretty dramatic. Uh, so you could see it, you could just see so far from mm-hmm. up there on that mount. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you guys had your helmets on and you were communicating. There's no, because there's no atmosphere, uh, you're not hearing things. You guys had some machines and stuff you had to do, but you couldn't tell by hearing that they were on. You, th- you There was no sense of sound except for what you were hearing between you and John communicating on the moon, correct? Uh, that's correct. Uh, we, uh, we had radio communications between us and you could hear if, uh, you could hear your, uh, uh, the oxygen flow, this, uh, low hiss across, you could, you had a hot mic, so you, you hear yourself breathing, but, uh, you drop a, you, 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 you bang on the rover with a hammer. You don't hear it. You feel it, but you don't hear it. That's so strange. <laughs> yeah, no sound. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so it, uh, you know, and I could, I was drilling holes, and I could feel the, I could feel the drill turning, and the tension in my hand to hold it straight, but I couldn't, you couldn't hear it. That's such a strange, uh, strange yeah, thing. Strange, it's strange. Yeah. yeah.
believe the uh, Earth is flat, all you got to do is look at the space pictures. <laughs> You're on the wrong road. <laughs> yeah. You solved that problem, didn't you? Yeah.